All right. This week on the Herbal Hour podcast, we have a special treat. Bryn Anderson is with us. She is a herbalist um, and maker of Vital Force Herbs. So she's here today uh, along with me to teach you guys how to use herbs better and how to be a better herbalist. So we're going to talk about the Western system of herbalism, uh, how to pick the right herb for yourself, and some of the regulations and legal implications of being an herbalist. And we kind of come from different traditions because you did uh, the apprenticeship kind of model of herbalism, whereas I went to naturopathic medical school and I'm doing herbalism under that degree. So I want to talk a little bit about our different experiences. Um, But yeah, so if you're trying to be a better herbalist, you're trying to learn how to use herbs better, this is the podcast for you. And it is called the Herbal Hour. So it's about time we we did an episode (laughs) dedicated just really to herbs. so to start off for people who haven't seen the past episodes we did what's kind of your background how did you become uh, an herbalist what inspired you originally um well I mean I I always take that story all the way back to childhood but I won't make it long today so (laughs) definitely started you know early on with uh, my mother and grandmother in the garden that was definitely my first inspiration and you know making a pots full of uh, sand and flour you know soup brew magic potion uh, with friends and all that. And then really as a teenager is when I kind of started really, you know, just reading about it. Somebody gave me the Rodale's Illustrated Dictionary of Herbs, I think when I was about 14 or 15, and the very first natural food store co-op opened in my hometown. So those kind of went together when I walked in the store and was like, whoa, what are all these little bottles? I love these little bottles. What's in them? Oh, what? Mm -hmm. There's herbs in here? You know, so um, that was just kind of instant excitement. And then I moved to Eugene, Oregon, which was a pretty... uh, exciting hotbed of herbalism Mm -hmm. there it seemed like you know within a few weeks of moving there it was like everybody I knew was making this that or the other going to wildcraft this or that or you know um so I quickly just made friends and dove into learning how to um you know make my first salve make my first tincture harvest my first you know roots um going out on identification walks and all of that so Mm -hmm. it was really a lot of self-study for a long Mm -hmm. time. Um, And just, I had a friend who was in an official herbal school, which I was in different schooling at that time. Um, I was in preschool teacher schooling. So I, but I would go over and help her study, which helping her study, like she was doing flashcards and illustrations and all these things. And so I ended up learning just as much as she did because I was, I was the one who was quizzing her and helping her, you know, make everything. So um, we did that. And then, um, really having children was the next step where I wanted to raise my kids with herbs and also wanted to do it right and not mess it up. You know, if my child had a fever or something, I wanted to feel confident that I could um, help them through that situation mm-hmm. um, with natural medicine and, you know, feel confident about it. So, so really just, yeah, self-study for a long time. And then at the end of my journey, I guess then was to finally decide, okay, I want to go to school for this. I want to start a company. And so then I um, joined the school of evolutionary herbalism. Mm -hmm. And that is mainly an, an online program, but a very intense online program that requires a lot of like plant meditation and, you know, doing a lot of things, um, I also, at the same time, joined Rosemary Gladstar's um, Mm -hmm. 
science and art of herbalism program. And then there was some in-person um, workshops and things that I did with the School of Evolutionary Herbalism mm -hmm. as well. So yeah, so kind of did that. And then I did an internship at the herb shop in Portland um, over on Mississippi, which was awesome. And that just really got my hands in it every day. Just it's kind of another angle, um, the making me of medicine, but also just the commerce and kind of all that stuff behind it. Um, so yeah, and started my, my business as well. Mm -hmm. And that brings up a good uh, kind of jumping in point for somebody who's looking to take the herbalist path a little bit more seriously, or really just wants to learn more so that they can use them for uh, use herbs for their kids, loved ones for themselves, so that they don't always have to be reliant on a doctor or especially pharmaceuticals, which obviously, as we know, have, uh, they're very strong and potent and they're single ingredients. So for that reason, they can also have a lot of side effects. Personally, I'm not like completely against pharmaceuticals, but I think they have like a time and a place. Same with herbs. Yeah. So on that yeah. subject, I want to talk a little bit about some of the different paths that people can get into learning about herbalism. You brought up one, the uh, School of Evolutionary Herbalism. Um, I personally really like Matthew Wood and his his books, like the Earthwise Herbal and Traditional Practice of uh, Herbal Medicine. Yeah. I think it's backwards on the camera, uh, but no, he actually, has like online programs good. that are. It is okay, perfect. Yeah, um, love his. Uh, his system of herbalism because he teaches from the standpoint of uh, the ancient traditions and uh, herbal energetics, which we're going to talk a little bit about today for people who are interested. So that's like, those are like two ways that you can go about uh, self-studying. Uh, but then of course, there's, um, there's programs that you can go to. There's like online and, and not online, like in-person ones. And then an alternate route, which is kind of the route that I ended up taking, um, was to go to naturopathic medical school and then kind of do herbalism under that because we learned uh, a decent amount about herbalism within the program. But I think that, so I was talking to someone who is an herbalist uh, who also apprenticed like you, uh, but she's interested in following uh, like a nurse degree or something like that as a way to uh -huh. get kind of in front of people because obviously herbalism is the wild west because it's not really yeah. regulated. <laughs> and for anyone who's like, how do I become an herbalist? Do I need to go to some like school? No, you can be an herbalist today, actually. Uh, you just need to follow certain kind of legal rules. So could you tell us a little bit about some of the, some of the things you need to keep in mind when you're uh, trying to actually be an herbalist? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm still going to say that it's important to have some I'm going to call it education, but it's not, I mean, it, it's good to have your hands on, uh, first of all, the plants themselves. I think that's really important is that direct plant person communication. And also there's so many great resources, whether it be through books, online, in person, all those different programs, or just another person who's educated and can, you know, kind of, you can apprentice with, or just learn from, um, that's all super helpful, I think, in just kind of getting you going on your path. Um, some of the things I guess to look for um, is, I mean, you, you need to know your plants. If you mm -hmm. are going to be making medicine for other people, you need to know what plants you're working with. Now, the School of Evolutionary Herbalism is also very much based on Matthew Wood's work. It's not based on Matthew Wood's work, but his work is a huge part of it. We go through mm -hmm. all the energetics, which we can talk about more later. But um, but it, a lot of it is just 
individuating the herbs and people that not that, you know, chamomile isn't the herb for every single person Mm -hmm. or, you know, willow isn't the herb for every single person because every single person's different, you know, so that that's, I feel like something that's really important. And there are some schools of thought that don't really take that into consideration. And so, Mm -hmm. I mean, it kind of, you know, there's many paths for sure. Um, but I think it's good to know your plants. Obviously you don't want to give someone a poisonous plant. So mm-hmm. you need to know your plant ID and um, you need to know your harvesting practices. If you're out wild crafting about, you know, where safe to harvest from, where it's clean to harvest from, where you're not over harvesting from all of those things. Um, if you're buying herbs from people, you know, where those herbs coming from and, and all that kind of, so there's a lot of homework involved. I feel like mm-hmm. for sure. Even if you don't go to school, there's a lot of homework. If you are going to be, you know, a competent herbalist who, um, you know, is, is going to make medicine that works. And also you need to believe in yourself. And sometimes you have to take a lot of risks and go out on a limb and mm-hmm. mess a lot of stuff up and be willing to throw things away that didn't work mm-hmm. out. And, you know, this batch went moldy and this match, batch tastes awful. And mm-hmm. I thought these two things went together and actually they really don't. <laughs> So, you know, there's a lot of um, creativity and trial and error and all that stuff that goes yeah. into it. As well. I'd say it's and definitely a better, uh, better time to be an herbalist than it ever has been, just because Agreed. I remember Matthew Wood uh, telling stories of kind of, you know, 10, 20 years ago when it really was the Wild West and, you know, herbalists were getting arrested for trying to practice herbalism, for practicing yeah. without a license and all that stuff. Nowadays, it's a little bit, there's a certain kind of path you can follow. Um, in terms of doing it in a wise way so that you don't get in legal trouble. And for anyone who's kind of interested in following that path or just knowing the basics, I recommend going to uh, the American Herbalist Guild uh, website. They have uh, fact pages and other information on like what are the rules actually for practicing as an herbalist. So for example, they'll tell you things like you can't say you're treating a condition, you can't, you know, diagnose things you can't make promises you kind of have to act more as a kind of consultant uh like just giving general recommendations you can't really give medical advice there's a lot more specifics in that but anyone's interested highly recommend uh following to that it also has information on if you want to make your own kind of herbal blends or tinctures so me and Bryn, we both have uh, tincturing companies this is an example of one of my tinctures and there's a lot of kind of good manufacturing practices that um you need to follow to not get in trouble with the FDA. Although the FDA is in this weird place where it's not technically supposed to be regulating herbalism. That's why you always see on the back of herbal bottles, like this product is not intended to diagnose, treat or cure anything like that. That's basically just like, Mm -hmm. don't, don't bother us FDA. (laughs) We're not related to you in any way. Um, But so far it's, it's pretty, there's a lot of like kind of steps uh, to doing it right. So I highly encourage anybody if you're trying to, be really serious about starting a kind of like herbal company, look into all the legal aspects because there's a lot of them. And while like when you're small, it's fine because no one will notice. But if you ever want to get kind of bigger, like you're going to have the feds at your door uh, if you don't follow the right practices. So that's kind of why I went through the legal route with all the insurance and commercial kitchen and all all that kind of stuff uh, just right from Uh the get-go. Although it's really expensive. So definitely be sure that's what you want to do. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, following all of that does get yeah, pretty, uh, pretty expensive. I was going to say on the American Herbalist Guild website as well, there's also a whole section that lists every school in the mm-hmm. States that they know of. Um, so there's a really great 
uh, database in there that will just, you know, you can look up by state or by program and it'll tell you in-person programs, online programs, people to apprentice with, um, you know, even universities like, you know, where you can actually go get a, you know, a bachelor's of herbal studies, um, what, whatever level you're wanting to go to, there's, that's a great database there. Um, yeah. And also for um, just, you know, learning how to make simple things, uh, learning herbs is a great, I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, but they're a great resource that have just tons of recipes. They have a, like an online community you can join. I think it's a couple dollars a month and they'll kind of highlight certain herbs every month. They'll talk about, you know, identification, harvesting, how to make different things, um, news you know surrounding herbs all that kind of stuff so it's kind of another similar similar resource um uh same as uh, american herbal field mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's that's a uh, really really kind of good start and i think somebody you'll know if you are really interested in herbs if you're kind of reading one of the herb books and you get really excited and you don't know why yeah that's a good sign that you're that you should <laughs> really order path. five more <laughs> yeah exactly so there's probably uh, people who are listening to this, who kind of, uh, you know, they drink herb teas and they, and this kind of thing. But if herbs interest you, highly recommend at least, uh, self-studying. You don't have to like be an herbalist professionally, but it's so good to, to know how to use herbs effectively because then they can actually be helpful rather than just being kind of, you know, whatever. Yeah. Well, and something you said to, um, as far as legalities and how you're not supposed to say what something is for, which can make it really tricky. If you mm -hmm. decide, you know, you have a cold or something and you decide to go to, you know, an apothecary or the grocery store even, which, you know, now most stores do carry some tinctures mm -hmm. and you go and you're like, okay, am I, you know, I have these symptoms. And then you're looking and it's very vague. You kind of have to know what you're looking for a little bit. And I, mm -hmm. I think, you know, you're not supposed to say what it treats, but I will say there are a lot of, companies that say you know do. kind of there's like a lot of they'll uh, say like technically you know, illegal practices in the, the yeah even industry. on the bottles where you're like wow are you really supposed to say this is for you know this specific thing um but it's a, a little bit cryptic so it's nice to know okay if i have a cold these are the things i'm looking for to support mm -hmm. my lungs and my sinus and my cough i don't know how to make them or i don't want to or whatever but now i can go to the store and i can at least read the ingredients and say okay this has mm elderberry in it or this has eyebright in it or something you know and you can then maybe you can go look it up further but if you if you kind of just walk in hoping that a label is going right. to tell you what you need it might be a little tricky yes yeah, especially if you go to an herb shop and you <laughs> kind of just go to the immune support section like there's going to be 20 different herbs that are all set to support immune health but they're all so different that you know, right. and that's generally how the typical consumer behaves just because that's how the system is set up where the, uh, the herbs can't, the herb products can't tell you like exactly what they're for, or even really talk about the history or traditional use as much because of all that legal red tape. So to mm. be a better herbalist or use herbs better, it's better to have that knowledge for yourself because nobody can stop you from actually knowing what the herb uh, is good for. And then just exactly. going and buying that vague specific product, which is just that herb. Um, mm -hmm. Also a, a cool thing. So I think this is a good place to segue and kind of get into uh, actually how to use herbs more effectively. The system of herbal energetics, which comes from uh, Greek medicine, it's really beautiful because it doesn't use the typical Western um, kinds of diagnosis. So you can, you can practice as an herbalist using that system without actually 
diagnosing specific conditions. So it kind of gets you out of that uh, legal red tape area and it gives you a more holistic picture. So I wanted to kind of jump right in um, yeah. of the Western herbal energetic system. Okay, so sure. basically the first step is to get like a book that has the herb functions and especially one that tells you about the herbal energetics uh, because they come in very important. So uh, Matthew Wood's approach, which I love, and actually comes uh, from ancient herbalist practices, there's kind of a triad that you're looking at when you're trying to choose which herb is best. So the first thing is the location of the herb effect. That's basically what organ system it affects. So certain herbs, uh, they're specific for different organs or different tissues of the body. Uh, something like milk thistle is a specific for the liver, right? It's very liver protective, helps regenerate the liver, things of that nature. Uh, you know, chamomile is very specific for the nervous system. And uh, what's another what's another good example that you think of when you think of organ specific herbs? Uh, let's see. Um, let's say elecampane. Um, although it is traditionally an ancient Greek I, in ancient medicine, I guess was a bitter um, digestive remedy. I would say now it's generally considered a lung remedy. So mm -hmm. that, respiratory that system that would be specific to the respiratory system. Yeah. Right. So the herbs, they all have this kind of specific uh, action on the body. And this is kind of one of the main parts to understand because when you try to figure out what herb to use or what herb to give someone, you kind of have to know what system is affected. And then that's where the whole art of herbalism comes in and where it becomes uh, very interesting. So going through a few other herbs, like rosemary is another uh, specific for uh, the nervous system and the respiratory system to some extent, ginkgo, biloba, really specific for the nervous system, memory, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. Then you have things like gentian root, which is very strongly specific to the digestive system. Right. And very, yeah. Then we go into the gentian is very different than fennel, which is very different than, yeah. You know, and they're all chamomile. specific for yeah. the organ system, but they have different effects. So that's kind of just one part of it. And where you get that kind of information is from like an herbal book. It'll tell you yeah. what organs is specific for, and also from your own experience. I mean, you might notice that whenever you eat ginger, like you're it feels like your digestive system is kind of working. You might be like burping and stuff like that. That's how you know it's kind of active. So you'll know, oh, ginger is specific also for the digestive system. The interesting thing with the organ systems is it can affect more than one organ system. So it's not really, you know, black and white where this one herb is for that organ um, or things like that. So that's one part. So you want to know what organ system you're trying to uh, treat. And the way to know which one to pick is kind of the whole art of medicine in general. It's like, how do you uh, link uh, a symptom that you're having with what organ system is uh, in dysfunction? And that's like a topic for a whole, you know, three hour class, just that part. Well, it is. So yeah, absolutely. Because sometimes too, there's many organ systems and something's on the bottom and then maybe it hasn't been treated or has gotten worse or complicated for various reasons. And so you're, Say you're having an issue with your lungs, but really the issue is like three steps back somewhere mm -hmm. else, you know, right. so there's that to uncover as well. Yeah, because the organs are obviously in this kind of symbiotic relationship with each other where Absolutely. if one of them is deficient, then another one suffers. But the original kind of root cause of the issue could stem back into an organ system where it's like not obvious. Uh, for example, yeah. 
So I was talking with uh, Dr. Shannon Curtis. She's a naturopathic doctor. And she was kind of filling me in on how to treat skin diseases. This was in the uh, episode, I think it was like two weeks ago or something like that. Okay, yeah, I've um, seen that. And so what her point was, is that a lot of skin remedies, the way you approach it is actually by uh, treating the liver. Because the liver is... Okay the main detoxifier in the body. It's the true, true detoxer. It's not, you know, the, the fad detoxer. It actually does, you know, break down compounds and, and help you metabolize and get rid of things that are harmful to the body. Yeah, it's your main filter for sure. Yeah. And then and that's then the, the idea. The end of that. Yep. Exactly. It's also another organ that helps kind of get rid of uh, toxins out of your body. So uh, just as an example, if somebody has a lot of skin conditions, you might not necessarily treat their skin directly. Like you can, you know, use like a cream or, or salve uh, just for the kind of local symptoms. But when you're, sure. when you want to be kind of great herbalist or really use herbs well, you actually want to treat the root of the issue. So you might treat something like the liver because once that's in balance, once uh, the hormones are in balance, because the liver is a big part of uh, hormone metabolism as well and also mm -hmm. detoxifying. So once the liver is in balance, then the skin stuff clears up of its own. And that's how you really practice holistic medicine really in general. It's not, you know, looking at just what the obvious thing that's affected, it's trying to find the reasons why and go deep right, well, into the rabbit hole yeah, of what's causing things. Absolutely. And well, and that's what you were saying before about getting away from the diagnosing something. It's mm -hmm. not saying, okay, your skin has this, it, it's eczema. Like I'm diagnosing this as eczema. You're not doing that. You're looking at the skin and saying, wow, I see an imbalance in the skin. And what I know is that when the skin becomes inflamed or, you know, congested, that means we, we trace that back to liver, the liver being congested or imbalanced in some way. And so we go back. And so it's like you're following the golden thread of finding, you know, what the root of that is. There's no need to diagnose. Then you then you work, and there's a little bit of trial and error there, um, and also finding which you know we can get into that with the further down the energetics of which mm -hmm. liver herb is then right for that person. And exactly. Then yeah, and it it's kind of like holistic diagnosis, I would call it, where it's not you know saying uh, in a reductionist way this is the issue, this is the pathology, it's right there, it's because of this chemical. It's more of looking at the body as uh, patterns. It's more looking at what kind of patterns Absolutely. of dysfunction are happening. All patterns. Mm -hmm. so yeah, that's it's kind not of, an allopathic approach, it's not linear. Exactly, and you can use herbs allopathically, as they say, you know, there's this term For of sure. green allopathy, <laughs> which is, you know, it's actually probably the predominant way of using herbs, which is, you know, you go on PubMed, you look up, um, you look up an herb that is for anxiety. So you look up anxiety herbs or something like that. And then you just yeah. pick one because the research says it's useful for anxiety. And then you just use it. Use it just like you would use a pharmaceutical where it's, this is anti-anxiety. That person has that. So I'm going to use this herb. Um, and of course that doesn't really work that well because uh, herbs are not necessarily as well targeted because there are a lot of compounds and they work kind of synergistically and they don't, in general force uh, physiological function the way pharmaceuticals do. So something like right. um, uh, like a benzodiazepine, like Xanax, for example, that's like a, a direct acting pharmaceutical agent that stops anxiety, it forces it stops. In fact, it, it works so well that people become addicted to it because when they're not using it, their anxiety is like 10 times worse. Right, and that's they have like a no forceful way of function. self-regulating it, yeah. Exactly. I know, exactly. and herbs are much different if you look at, 
skull cap or lemon balm or even something stronger like valerian or kava kava for something like anxiety. Yeah, if you're expecting a pharmaceutical response, that's not you know, if you take a lot of skull cap, it, it will knock you down, but it's mm-hmm. not the same, you know, it, it's, it's so such a different thing because really it's stimulating something within yourself. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, I mean, I think sometimes that can even be not what you expect it to be, you know, as far as like you're calm and suddenly you're calm. And then you're like, what am I really anxious about anyways? You know, and like, mm-hmm. you're able to process it. I feel like the plant is working with you rather than just stopping it or stuffing it down or ending it, you know, and just like pain. I mean, pain is an intelligent response of the body. Inflammation is an intelligent response of the body. When you, you know, when you have a fever, you have a fever in order to, you know, ramp up that temperature, get the white blood cells going, push out the, you know, the virus or whatever's going on. That's, that's all the intelligence. So when you just take something to stop the fever, you're basically turning off the body and saying, you know, like you're working against the body. Yeah. I, you know, I, I don't need you to do this. I, I got it. I'll just take this pill and I'm good. And, right. and like you said, there is a time and a place for pharmaceuticals for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also ways that you can just work with your body. And then maybe, maybe you have that fever and the elderflower helps even raise it up a degree. And then it helps open your pores. Mm-hmm. And then you're able to, you know, have that wonderful sweat. And then your body just cooked out whatever was bothering it. And then you feel better and you're like, wow, okay. You know I mean? And then maybe you feel better than you even did before, because maybe that fever also pushed out some other things that were, mm-hmm. you know, brewing for some other reason, you know, under, under the skin or, or whatever. So that's a really key principle. I think of yeah. uh, naturopathic medicine, holistic medicine, or herbalism in general is to really orient one's mind around how can I help spark the body's healing or how can I help along the healing process rather than just attacking or fighting against symptoms, which is typically what most of conventional medicine is based on. And obviously it's really effective at that. But the question is, does it actually lead to long-term health? And when we actually look at it and see people who are on, you know, 10 pharmaceuticals, their health is, you know, worse than if they probably were using none. So it works in a sense because it gets rid of the immediate suffering of the symptom. But as you were saying, which is a super important point that, those symptoms, those things that are unpleasant are actually part usually of the healing response of the body. So something like a fever is actually something that if it's not too high and dangerous, you actually want to support it because as you were saying, it increases the immune response, increases white blood cells. It makes, you know, viruses and bacteria harder for them to live because of that elevated temperature. Um, And all of it's an intelligent response. Like even the fact that you get really kind of tired and lethargic when you have a fever, that's not like accidentally, that's actually part of the, um, the cytokine release. So your immune cells release yeah. certain chemicals and it actually influences your mind and behavior because that's what your body wants you to do. It wants you right, to like, stay at home, down. curl up. It doesn't want you to spread <laughs> yeah. around to other people because- Exactly, go lay down and go to bed. Yeah, for so, sure. So all of that's part of the intelligent response and things like pain and all that is an indicator that something's wrong. So I think for people who are interested in using herbs more effectively or really in holistic medicine in general, that's a key point to understand is uh, not just looking just at the symptoms, but looking beneath them. Like what is the body trying to say and how can I help it rather than just, you know, I have a cough, I'll use an anti-cough herb. I have a fever, I'll use an anti-fever herb. That is the right. same kind of reductionist thinking that pharmaceuticals use, which just doesn't really work for herbs because they're not really strong at that. 
So oh, it, it's good. losing both. You you basically get neither of the benefits. You don't get the benefit of the herb or the allopathic met, uh, method when you when you mix them up like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think also like you know in the in the uh, example of the fever, if you suppress the fever and then your body doesn't have that root, then sometimes it drives you know, the condition deeper, it's like, well, mm -hmm. okay, I couldn't use the fever. So now I got to, you know, take this route. And then you end up with, you know, an infection, you get bronchitis instead of just having a fever and a cough or something like that. And so I think that's an important thing to, um, to look at as well as how do you support the body in finding that route and then, you know, taking those steps to healing rather than, you know, when you cut it off or the pain, you cut off the pain, but then what are the side effects of that? Or what are the long-term mm um, kind of things that can happen from suppressing your body's intelligent response. I mean, mm -hmm. inflammation is an intelligent response, but of course we know that someone who's chronically inflamed, that's a whole situation in itself because then it, you end up with, you know, um, long-term conditions that, or cancers or different things that thrive on inflammation. So there's a point where your body's like, okay, I did my thing, but now I need some help getting out of here. Like I backed myself into a corner. Mm -hmm. How do I, how do I get out of here? And then that's when I think herbs and that holistic view of finding the roots and um, following the energetics of the body to kind of pull yourself out of that dead end and figure mm -hmm. out where to go. That's rather one than of the, just cutting it all. One of the main principles that the early naturopaths were very big on is that when you suppress symptoms, you drive diseases into a more chronic form, as you were saying. Yeah. So, and sure. that is not even something theoretical. Like I can give you an example uh, from the biomedical perspective of where this is true. Uh, so people who have like skin conditions or asthma, usually if they're treated from a very young age with corticosteroids and the way corticosteroids work is they directly stop the inflammatory response. So they help with the symptoms, right? Because steroids yeah. naturally in the body, uh, like cortisol and other uh, corticosteroids, they, they're the body's way of balancing out its inflammatory response so that it doesn't get too far. But when someone from a young age has you know, asthma or something or has eczema, and from a young age, they're given these uh, suppressant things, which help with the symptoms, right? Their skin gets better, their asthma gets better. But over a period of time, and this is uh, well documented in the medical literature, people who are treated for asthma, for example, from a young age with these corticosteroid inhalers, later in life, they'll develop, you know, severe eczema, whereas they wouldn't have had it otherwise. So it's like, when you suppress one thing in the body, all sorts of weird, unknown uh, side effects happen that might only appear, you know, 10 years later. So that's really important to know where it's kind of, it's like a quick fix thing, right? You know, yeah. the pharmaceutical, it sweeps the dust under the rug, right? So the house looks clean, but eventually the dust builds up and then you start getting sick <laughs> from the dust. Picks up the rug. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And eventually it's just like a matter of time. So I think it's really important for uh, people from within this Western tradition to understand that um, a lot of the deeper philosophical notions of how we treat disease are at issue, not necessarily the tools that we use. So I think that's really sure. important to kind of understand. When, when getting yeah. into the path of herbalist. And, and I have, you know, just the, like a little personal story of that. My daughter got, um, she started getting a skin condition, like a rash behind her legs, like where you're kind of like where your leg meets the chair, where you're sitting, you know, she's sitting in a chair at school all day. And I think just, you know, sweat or whatever, just having her that, just that area. Um, 
she started getting a rash and then it got worse. And, you know, we, we did, we tried just, you know, like some calendula in the bath and, you know, some various little things didn't really do anything. Um, it hurt to put salve on, it burned. Mm. So we didn't do that. And then when I ended up taking her to the doctor, of course, they were like, here's some steroid cream. And I was just like, Oh, I can't do it. I don't want to do it yet. Like, okay, I have it have it if I need it, but let's try some other things. And so I went back to that, what we were talking about before is like, what's going on with the liver? Mm -hmm. What, what is she eating? What, you know, she, she definitely has a more sensitive, uh, I feel like GI than, you know, some of my other children. So I was like, okay, let's look at what she's eating. And we started just doing simple burdock tea and Mm -hmm. tincture Mm -hmm. and which matched her energetics. Great. It matched so many things in her picture and burdock is kind of a long, slow, it's a long, deep root. And it's a, you know, more, it's not like take burdock for two days and your skin clears up. It's months. So we Mm -hmm. spent a good three months, um, with the burdock every single day and doing some baths and different things. And we never used the steroid steroid cream, never took anything else and it went away and it's never come back. And that it's not always that easy for sure. And it's Mm -hmm. not always like burdock isn't going to work for everyone. Um, As we've been talking about that things are so individual, but it was a great little success of like, Mm -hmm. you know, at first that the very first thing is like, okay, stop the symptom, symptom, cover it up, do something for the skin. Um, you know, the doctor's like, oh, rash equals steroid cream. Here you go. And then, you know, but just having uh, the knowledge that I do have and thinking back like, okay, wait, no, we need to step back from the skin and go you know, follow it all the way back to the liver. And sure enough, um, it, it worked great. So. Mm. You bring up a good point too, that herbalism is kind of the long game. It's not, yeah, for sure. <laughs> there are definitely herbs that are very strong and will act suddenly. There's Mm -hmm. uh, many examples of those, but in general, herbs are more for the longer use, kind of rebalancing the system over the course of weeks, months, uh, even Mm -hmm. years. Uh, There's this idea that, you know, if it took a condition 10 years to become chronic, right? Or somebody has been suffering from the same thing for 10 years, you're not going to be able to fix it overnight. Even with pharmaceuticals, you can only disguise it. So the longer the the imbalance has been in place, usually the longer it takes to rebalance it, which is really unfortunate. But I mean, it's like that with all things, right? It's like that with diet and exercise. If you Absolutely. have been eating cupcakes and donuts for like three years, and now you're 100 pounds overweight, <laughs> you're not going to be able to lose 100 pounds in a week. Like you're going to have to do a completely different way of life for months to, to months remedy that. Forever, and it's just probably. like that. Yeah for herbs when, when uh, organ systems get out of bounds. It's more, yeah, more of a lifestyle change and yeah, definitely different. That's Um, where the knowledge comes in because without the knowledge, you won't have faith in the herbs working because you might not see the benefit I gave her burdock twice. Yeah. And it didn't work. Yeah. And that is a common thing to to say, oh, it didn't work. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, having the knowledge is is great uh, because it, as I was saying, it, it gives you that faith to stick with it and then right, you'll and see the, the benefits. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and especially when you can pick kind of the, the, the right herb that fits all the things. So we talked about one of the things, the organ or the location. That's one of the three main things. The second thing, and this is a wide topic in and of itself, is the herbal energetics. So the herbal energetics 
Uh, you can read about it. A lot of different herbal books will kind of just briefly mention it. Like you might've seen, oh, that's a hot herb. That's a cold herb, or you might've heard the terms. Uh, it comes uh, from Greek uh, medicine. It comes from the elemental theory of uh, disease. So the basic uh, qualities of herbs are, uh, are hot, cold, dry, and wet, or you can call it damp. Uh, both are right. Um, and the way it works is herbs have these general effects of hot, dry, cold, damp, and conditions can also be hot, cold, dry, and damp. Uh, so the basic theory of traditional herbalism is uh, called the law of contraries, which is using the opposite herb for the energetics. So if you have a hot condition, you use a cold herb. If you have a cold condition, you use a hot herb. If you have a dry condition, you use a damp herb. If you have a damp condition, you use a dry herb, et cetera. Uh, so what does that all mean, right? Because that's very theoretical and vague, uh, but just very, very basically, and uh, I'll give you guys some resources for how to look deeper into this uh, system. I'll give a very basic overview and then you can, you can comment with your experiences. Uh, so hot conditions are typically conditions where there's a lot of irritation, there's stimulation, inflammation is a key indicator of hot conditions. So, you know, if you have like a red rash, rash that's really itchy, that's a hot skin condition. If you have even something like uh, anxiety or irritability is like a hot condition of the nervous system. So everything hot has to do with inflammation, has to do with overstimulation. If you think of heat, it's like, you know, there's too much energy, let's say. Right. Um, and Matthew would calls that heat excitation, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, it's like the, everything's excited. Everything is, is moving quickly or yeah. Exactly. That's the, that's the tissue state. So the tissue state is yeah. excitation. So any kind of condition where there's like an overactivity, that's how you can think of hot conditions. There's an overactivity. So let's say somebody has, you know, GERD or a lot of stomach acid. That's like a hot condition of the stomach. I mean, it literally feels hot because it like burns. Um, yeah. A lot of times hot conditions will have pain. Uh, typically hot conditions will have uh, pain and inflammation, something like rheumatoid arthritis, where the joints are really like red and swollen and warm to the touch. That's like a archetypal hot condition of the joints and musculoskeletal system. Uh, so that's just like a general framework to understand. And for hot conditions, you use cooling herbs. So what do cooling herbs do? They do the exact opposite. They reduce inflammation, they reduce activity. So there's cooling herbs of the nervous system, which are the nervines. So things like passion flower, um, lavender to some extent, skullcap, uh, peppermint, lemon balm, especially lemon balm. They're all very cooling. And going back to the organ system, they're specific to the nervous system. So they're cooling to the nervous system. So when their nervous system is overexcited, use those herbs specifically for that. Um, on the other hand, you have... Uh, you have cold conditions. So cold conditions are characterized by underactivity, literally coolness. In general, chronic conditions are considered cold. The archetypal cold condition is uh, a cold. Like we literally call it a cold. You know, you feel right. cold, you're weak, you're tired, um, and this kind of thing. It's actually specifically a cold and damp condition because usually, uh, so damp conditions have a lot of excretions coming out like mucus, excess liquids coming out, sweating, anything like right. watery or even like swelling in the body is a damp condition. And then dry or, conditions. Or like a chronic, like a weepy rash. Exactly. Yeah. That would probably be like a hot 
and damp condition because it's kind of like inflamed yeah, maybe and so. irritated and stuff. Yeah. Um, so as far as dry conditions, that's generally something like dry skin is an obvious example. Any, any condition where there's like not enough moisture in the body or not enough moisture wherever, um, that's a dry condition. So something like constipation is a dry condition because you don't have enough fluids to, you know, drive out. Anything that is very, uh, Matthew Wood talks about as being like sclerotic. So anything with like hardening, contracting, so like like warts or something like that would be a dry condition because there's kind of like a hardening going on uh, from lack of moisture. And as I was mentioning, you'd use like the opposite herbs. So for a cold condition where, you know, typically these chronic types of conditions, you actually want to use hot herbs that are stimulating. So if somebody has indigestion, you can think of that, especially indigestion from lack of, you know, stomach acids and things like that, or from like a weakened digestive system, you actually use these kind of hot and spicy herbs. Um, and that's exactly how they, uh, how they taste. You know, you taste them, you feel like warm, you feel, you know, like things like cayenne, ginger, cinnamon, all these different things are really warming specifically for the cold type of conditions. And then as far as the uh, damp conditions, there's actually, I know, you know, there's like two kinds of dampness. I think it's, it's important to make the distinction because they're actually pretty different. So in the body, there's two kinds of dampness that could happen. Uh, probably more in fact, but this is just like a simplification. Um, there's damp relaxation. So that's when like the tissues are relaxed and there's a condition of a dampness that just is flowing out. So somebody right, who's urinating a lot. Yeah. yeah somebody mm -hmm. who has like, you know, like their nose is runny. Uh, there, a lot of things are coming out of the body, like maybe even diarrhea where like it's damp relaxed because there's like this wetness, dampness in the body, but it's relaxed because it's just like flowing out. And there's then there's no tone. Yeah, exactly. And then there's damp stagnation. So damp stagnation is the other kind of dampness. That's actually when there's a lot of moisture fluid buildup, but it's trapped. It can't get out. So uh, stuffed nose is like damp um, stagnation, mm -hmm. uh, swelling yeah. like edema when somebody's from uh, heart disease, their legs swell or their arms swell or their face swells. That's like fluid being trapped. And the reason why it's important to make that distinction is because you use different herbs based on which kind of dampness it is. So for damp stagnation, you actually use kind of diuretic or clearing herbs. Diuretic literally means it increases urination. So something like um, if you had, you know, swelling in the body from fluid, something like uh, dandelion root is, is helpful as a, as a diuretic. And I think dandelion leaf as well um, specifically helps kind of bring the fluids out and it, it is drying in that sense. Um, and then for damp relaxation, you want to do the exact opposite. You want to actually slow down that excess leakage of fluid. So astringents uh, are what you use. Mm -hmm. Things like green tea, uh, plants like white willow with a lot of tannins in them that you'll know them by, okay. yeah. you'll know them by like the effect they have on your tongue. Like it'll has this kind of like drying, <laughs> constricting, puckering kind of effect. Those are all the kind of astringent herbs. And there's, there's a lot of them. Um, and those ones are specifically used for when there's just like a damp condition that's just kind of flowing out of the body. So damp relaxation. And then as far as the dry conditions, you use damp herbs. So those are herbs like marshmallow root, which kind of lubricate tissues, moisten. So if you have like a sore throat, it's kind of this dry condition usually that People talk about having like a dry mouth, dry crackly throat. Um, and you use marshmallow root because it kind of coats 
that part of the body and it it helps the body regenerate because it protects those surfaces. Uh, so that's that's an example. So that's like a super general wide overview. There's so much more to uh, to talk about with that. <laughs> and if you're interested in that, check out this book specifically because this is kind of the underlying philosophy of the energetics and examples. And then this is kind of like one of the books for actually in-depth references of the herbs where it'll tell you the energetics. So that's kind of the second tier. So first you find out which organs affected, then you find out what the energetics of the body are and you use both of them. Is there anything, uh, anything you'd like to add to that? Very, uh, well, very yeah, brief a couple of things I'm trying to, yes. Um, a couple things is um, one thing that really helped me in learning about the energetics um, that my teacher taught was to look at the herbs, the condition, and your body as an ecosystem and mm. these different ecosystems. So if you're having a hot condition, so think of you know something that's super hot. You know you've got a brush fire that's like so hot you don't want to get too close to it. Now put that in your liver like that hot liver condition, or you uh, think of like a flowing stream and then the flowing stream goes off to the side and it turns into this super stagnant, stinky pond. Right. Mm. And that, that, that damp stagnation. So if you th if you can kind of picture that like damp stagnation now, okay, now put that in your arthritic knee or in whatever, you know, your stuffy nose. Um, and it just kind of helps blend this picture of like, what that looks like and feels like mm -hmm. and like where you would mirror that on the earth. Like, you know, what does a damp staggy or, you know, stagnant pond look like and smell like and feel like compared to a flowing stream. Mm -hmm. So then how do you like get back on course to the flowing stream from the damp pond kind of thing? So yeah, it's this that's intuitive something that helps me. Yeah. That's something that kind of just helps like, okay, put that condition and think about it, you know, externally on the earth and now stick it in your body what does it look like feel like you know smell like all those things um mm -hmm. i think can just kind of help you make a picture and sometimes that can really help you figure out what herb is going to help you another thing that you brought up was um you know talking about the um the using of opposites, you know, that if mm -hmm. you have a cool, you know, a, a cold condition you want to use a hot herb or if you have a hot condition use a cool herb and um I think that generally that is the case. And then there's also the similars where some, you might yeah. have something that mm -hmm. is like, it's a hot condition locally, but overall it's a cooling condition, you know, like body wise, like, like, like uh, what you were saying with the dandelion, like um, initially you might need to get your kidneys flowing and get rid of some stuff. But if you use the dandelion too long, you're going to end up with a drying condition mm -hmm. because you've over dried yourself. Mm -hmm. So there's sort of like looking at the micro and the macro of like, you know, the local condition and then the whole body condition. Um, and that can get pretty complex, you know, but it just kind of depends on how far down the rabbit hole you want to go. <laughs> yeah. And it, it goes down and, pretty far. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then the other thing you said about, um, you know, say like arthritis is a generally hot condition and, you know, looking at herbal fads and kind of, you know, the, the, the uh, allopathic path of like, treat this for that. So, I mean, we've all heard that, you know, turmeric is great for inflammation. Okay. Like that's, that's the example that I always hear. And it really sticks with me because it's just a simple, great example about if you have, um, you have hot arthritis and mm -hmm. maybe you're even a hot 
kind of person. Maybe you're, you know, a, a pitta personality and, mm-hmm. you know, and you start taking turmeric every day. Turmeric is like a super, super hot drying herb. So is that actually going to end up helping the inflammation of your arthritis? Is it going to help the inflammation of your personality? You know, so there's some of those things to look at when you're choosing the right herb for somebody is also like, you know, what, what's going on. You always want to look at what's going on in the bigger picture. And then how, like, if, you know, if you have hot arthritis, be careful, you're choosing an, an inflammatory, you know, an herb that's going to treat inflammation that isn't matching that symptom. So. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, complexity to it. I think of it as uh, a language system for describing for sure. how herbs work <laughs> and for conditions Definitely. that lets us think more in terms of patterns and intuitively, instead of thinking in, uh, terms of very, very specific things like we do in the Western tradition, which has its obviously benefits, but then it also has, you know, some drawbacks because it's fundamentally not a holistic system. Um, Yeah. And that's following nature to be, you know, to be looking at the patterns and the cycles of things. And I think that ultimately keeps you on track. Yeah. And it gives you, it gives you a way to kind of express things that elaborates on other things. So uh, for people who tend to work, uh, in terms of patterns and they see patterns between things, this kind of system is particularly useful for them because they'll start seeing all the different connections. And typically people, I think, who are into the more alternative holistic naturally tend to be those kind of temperaments or personality types. Uh, So for example, you can use the system to describe anything, but the point of describing it is so that you can choose the right herb for it. So uh, something like hyperthyroidism, right? That's like the archetypal hot condition. Because somebody with hyperthyroidism, they have excess uh, thyroid activity. They literally heat up. They're sweating all the time. They just feel hot. Um, they're irrit- irritable. Their metabolism is increased. It's literally like all of the hot things uh, mm-hmm. all at once. And one of the uh, herbs that's used typically for that is lemon balm. And lemon balm mm-hmm. is cooling. So it's right on point with that. And it also has some specificity for the thyroid. So it's like that that's kind of how you would understand how to pick the right herb for whatever's going on. Uh, you want to know what like organs affected, what area of the body's affected, the true root cause. And then you have the energetics to kind of give you a way of describing the generalness of the patterns and the symptoms of the body. The third aspect we'll talk about is specifics. That's where like all this like herb book stuff comes in because that's just like <laughs> this herb is just good for that, 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 this. And that's usually the only thing that people use. So the beauty of the system is that it brings everything together. It's not, you know, it's not mutually exclusive. It's not, you use this system and then you don't use the other. It's, this is just an elaboration that lets you have a more complex understanding of how herbs work so that you can kind of narrow down and pick the herbs um, better. Um, It's kind of like keying out a mushroom or a plant, you know, when you're like, does it have gills or spore or uh, the other one, the, getting in the mushroom when you key it out it's always like does it have gills or the sponge like you know bottom or does it have um you know broad leaves or is it a conifer like all that you're kind of like keying out but then you're layering it on top of like the herb the condition the person the environment all those things together yeah so that's uh that's like a super general overview of the energetics i uh taught a workshop a few months ago on it um so if you guys are interested, if you send an email to Dr. Dan at ktherbs.com, so it's D-O-C-T-O-R uh, at ktherbs.com, 
I'll send you a seven page uh, PDF of the general energetics as, as well as tons of specifics of what herbs are to the energetics and some recipes you can make. And wow. if you're interested, I could send um, a link to the three hour class that I held, which I taught about tincturing and also the whole system of herbal energetics and the things that I talked about kind of briefly. So for anyone who's interested, just send me an email. I'll, I'll put the email below if you're watching the YouTube video. And I, I just kind of want to send that out as a treat for people to kind of get started. Uh, I used a lot of Matthew Wood's material to make the stuff. So it's, it's very, uh, very useful. It's even stuff that I still use for my own reference. Um, yeah, that's very cool. Um, one of the resources I thought of that I'd mentioned before was Learning Herbs, but they put together a great little, um, just like super quick reference wheel. Mm. And so there's an energetic uh -huh. wheel and it has, yeah, I don't, you've maybe have seen that before. It has but, the colors um, and everything with it too. Yeah, or? it has the colors and it shows, yeah. So it's got the hot, cold, wet, dry, and then it's got different conditions and herbs, but it's kind of a nice not necessarily the only tool I would use, but it's a nice cross-reference. And also just to check if you're on the right path. If you're like, oh, I think I, I kind of feel like this and this, and then you could look at that and be like, oh yeah, look, those those match up there. That would work nicely. Or sometimes it'll even show you other complementary things. Um, yeah, those so, like yeah. quick references are super useful, especially when you uh, use them along with the uh, herb books and also research. And you just, the more information, the better, I feel like when it comes to right. actually choosing herbs. And that's when herbs can be kind of miraculous, let's say, where they just seem to work so well. And that's usually because it's stumbled on by accident. But when you know the systems of how things work, then you start thinking of things in terms of patterns and how do you move energies and how do you move uh, patterns? Um, right. I, Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, oh, I was just going to say um, that taste is another element yeah. of that. And, and that goes with things, but something hot and spicy is usually warming. And something like you mentioned lemon balm for hyperthyroidism, it's very sour and a cooling, sour yeah. is generally cooling. And so that's a whole other, and they also have a wheel of that, but I think um, that's just another really simple thing that goes along is to always taste your herbs and, you know, kind of get a sense for what taste matches what kind of yeah. temperature. Um because that, that can really help key you in. That's a really good point. Uh, that's like the way that you would know the quality of an herb without reading a uh, book. Because right. by the yep. taste, you can kind of have an idea for what the energetics are because everything kind of ties in. So that's the beauty of the holistic system is it's like kind of like a web and everything just eventually connects together the more information you have. Uh, I actually mm -hmm. taught a workshop recently on Ayurveda energetics where I like combined... Um, or rather kind of talked about herbal energetics, but also uh, how Ayurveda constitutional types like Vata, Pitta, and Kapha relate to them and how those herbs yeah. work. Um, so if you're interested in that, reach out to me. I actually, uh, I want to, if you're interested, I can send you the video because uh, I thought it was, it was pretty good. Yeah. I did a good amount of research yeah. and it's Great. a little bit more advanced just because you kind of have to understand herbal energetics because that's, what it's comparing itself to. Uh, but I think you'd, you'd find it awesome. But yeah, that brings in the point of like yeah, constitutional definitely. types that people have a general tendency towards hot, dry, cold, damp conditions based on what their temperament, personality, body type, et cetera. So that's like, that's even another layer to it. Another it layer. Just, yep. It's a rabbit hole. Like we, uh, like we it mentioned. really is it's such a rabbit hole, but it's so helpful if you know, like someone is cold all the time and then you're like, well, you know, 
what are, what are you doing for yourself? And they're like, well, I'm drinking this, uh, you know, peppermint lemon balm tea every single day, five times a day. And you're like, wow, that's really cooling. Do you ever add <laughs> ginger or cinnamon yeah. in it? No, you know, so it's like, just, um, make sure you're complimenting yourself or, you know, um, even putting in a little bit of a warming, most herbs are cooling as well. You know, there's sort of, you look at different categories. Most herbs are cooling and drying. There are way less herbs that are moistening or are, um, you know, the herbs with a high content of volatile oils are more warming. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's the few hot herbs like ginger, turmeric, horseradish, you know, some of those, but, um, yeah, it's good to, to, I think balancing it is always a safe way to go. You know, especially if you're working with other people and you're not sure of their, you know, or if, if you're, you know, like, like you and I, we're both making tinctures and we're not necessarily able to have a two hour consult with everyone right. we're selling a tincture to. And so we're more looking at balancing the energetics of our tincture so that mm-hmm. it can meet anyone's needs and, and be gentle enough. It's not right. going to be a super hot or super cold formula. It's going to be something that's, you know, balanced in order to meet. You exactly. Kind of like public. general tonics with tried and true mm-hmm. common herbs, nothing, right. you know, none of those low dose herbs or anything like that. Uh, right. Uh, and yeah, that's, that's the, the benefit of actually seeing an herbalist uh, as opposed mm-hmm. to trying to do it yourself. It's, it's hard. I mean, even, even if you have herbalism training, it's hard to diagnose yourself uh, because we have a lot of blind spots. So it's, they, they even say like doctors should never treat themselves just because like, they don't actually see themselves as they are. Cause we have a lot of our own like beliefs yeah. and opinions. And like, we think we are one way, but somebody who looks at you're us objectively will be fine. like, you're not I mean, like that I mean, at all. Yeah. So yeah, it's useful exactly. to, to see, you know, uh, professional help if you, uh, or become a professional yourself and treat yourself and try there it and see if it works. Maybe it works. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, and something really, something I want to, that, that makes me think of, um, just what we were talking about earlier, that really anyone can be an herbalist, and it's kind of a gray area, which is, has a lot of blessings to it, there's a lot of freedom mm-hmm. in that it isn't super regulated, um, but also at the same time, you want to do your homework about an herbal practitioner that you choose, and you want to make sure, I, I saw a little story about this today, that someone was, um, had kind of had an interaction with a uh, a fairly new herbalist who was really condescending and very Mm. much like you have to do it this way. I'm, I know how to do this. You're wrong. You want to make sure that you're getting a feeling sense of who you're working with and that you jive (laughs) with them and that you feel like you trust them and that they, if, if they already know everything about you, that might not be the best person to work with, you know, that you want to find someone who is open and who listens well and who isn't ever like, shaming you or, you know what I mean? Like you want to, um, so just like you would with a doctor. I mean, you really, you want to make sure you find somebody that works well with you and remember that you're like, I I think I've been hearing this more and more that you are hiring your doctor. And it's, I mean, I think it's definitely flipped in our society that it's like, Mm -hmm. my doctor told me to, I have to do this because my doctor said so my doctor's so, you know, I mean, I've I've known a lot of people that don't like their doctor at all. And, 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 but I've been hearing more and more. It's like, wait, you, you hired your doctor. If you don't like your doctor, you can fire your doctor and find one that you like. And I think that's goes true with any practitioners just to make sure that you're on the same page and you're comfortable with them and you feel like they, they do know what they're talking about or, you know, you know. that's the issue with the conventional medical system is that that's pretty typical that people just because their insurance yeah. covers it, you know, they'll go to that doctor that they don't like. 
just because somebody's a doctor herbalist doesn't mean they're a good person or that they even care about you. Unfortunately, <laughs> there's no like guarantee. And in so, the sphere so of healing, both, huh? <laughs> that aspect, the compassion and being a good person is actually very important to the healing process. And, yeah. um, and it's kind of forgotten. So if you have any interest in kind of the more holistic paths, I highly recommend you find a practitioner that uh, vibes well with you. And even if you have to pay out of pocket, it's going to be worth it in the long run. Um, you might be getting free crappy service through your insurance, but like, it's the same thing as like, oh, well, I just go to the mechanic who pretty much messes up my car every time I go, but it's free. So might as well. Right. It's like, no, spend a couple hundred dollars and get your car fixed. So right. that's, and then you don't have that's to just use my all plug. that time to keep going back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I think that's absolutely true. Um, and it's unfortunate because I think that that's really, I mean, that's like you said, that's a huge part of healing. It's not about what herb you take or what pharmaceutical you take. It's about that connection with another mm -hmm. human who has decided to be a vehicle for your healing process. I don't mm -hmm. think a doctor or an herbalist fixes you. I think that ultimately you heal yourself and it's about them helping you find that path. Or, I mean, I always feel like, you know, I'm connecting an herb with a person and that's, mm. you know, I'm like the intermediary um, between the person and the herb mm. or a formula that they're looking for ultimately to stimulate their own healing inside of them. And if you go to someone and you don't feel open to talking or they're like, do you sleep enough at night? Do you smoke? Do you do these things? And you feel like, oh yes, I, I, I sleep great. I really only sleep three hours a night, but yeah, yeah, no, I really sleep eight hours and no, I don't smoke or do any, you know, like you, if you're not honest, if you don't feel you don't like you really want to get into it, because it's like, what are they going to do anyway to help you? Yeah. Or if they ask you like, well, when did this start? I mean, and that's something, I mean, that's like basic training of what I learned is when you're working with a client in order to find the source, whether it be a rash or, you know, any kind of chronic condition, it's like, well, when did this start? And if you, you want to be comfortable with the person to be able to say, well, you know, it started right after my mom died or mm. it started right after I got in that accident or something simple. It started right after, you know, Thanksgiving, you know, well, what happened at Thanksgiving? And you, and you know, it's like, you kind of go down the rabbit hole mm. of, with a person. And so really, I feel like there's this, like you see a doctor for physical conditions and you see a psychologist for mental conditions and you see Everything's a counselor off. for emotional, it's all boxed off. We are not boxed off. We're, We're multi-dimensional, uh, multifaceted yeah. people. And so I think you we have, have to be treated to, think, like that. Right. And physical conditions most always have an emotional root mm -hmm. or agree. some kind of component. And so if you can go to someone that trusts, um, and even if it's your friend herbalism, you know, if you don't want to work on yourself, then maybe you can trade like, Hey, can you check out my lungs and I'll check out your headache? <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe get a more honest answer than if you're uh, trying to treat your own self. But anyways, um, you, there's, you get this, the picture what uh, there's this beautiful yeah. quote by, um, Paracelsus that, I, I think about a lot. Um, he says, the physician treats, but nature heals. Absolutely. Alternatively, he also says nature is the best medicine. Um, and other quotes along that line where it's the fundamental relationship of the healer to the person is they're kind of like a guide to that person's healing. That's why this, yeah. what they call the therapeutic alliance between practitioner and client or patient is really important. 
there's a ton of research showing that if people trust their doctor better, if people have a better relationship with them, they have better results no matter what they do, even if they give them the same herb or the same pharmaceutical. So the, the aspect of the relationship with the doctor is very important. And it's also very important to know that not everyone jives together. Like somebody could be a great doctor or a great herbalist, but like the personality might just not work well. And there's not like that level of trust. So like, it's no shame on either person it won't work in the long run. So I, I think it takes a really right. honest practitioner to be like, you know, like I, I don't think that I can be of best help to you, but I maybe know who can. And I think that's a very honest way to, yeah. to do yeah. it. Unfortunately in the holistic spheres, everyone is so, so desperate to survive that like that rarely <laughs> happens, but you know, whatever, I'm right. just trying to be like, ideal. Out, yes. <laughs> um, no. Yeah. That is, yeah. that is the ideal and with the insurance model, you, you know, you see your doctor for 10 minutes. So it doesn't matter how holistically minded your MD is. If they don't have more than 10 minutes, like they can't really ask you the kind of questions to know how to really treat the cause. Um, right. So, yeah. Basically yeah. Herbal consult is, is two hours to start yeah. to really like dive in and kind of get, you know, and I'm, I know just from, um, you know, taking my kids to, uh, to NUNM that, you know, if I go for a wellness check at their pediatrician, 10 minutes talk once a year, 10 minutes, like, okay, yeah, you grew a little bit. Yep. Cool. All right. Next. Um, and we go there and it's like two hours, which the first time we did that, my kids were like, what is going on? Why is yeah, this taking long. so long? You know, but <laughs> it was very involved and it was every facet of life. It wasn't just like, okay, your reflexes work. Your throat looks good. You grew great. It was How's school? How's homework? Do you feel stressed? How do you sleep at night? You know, all those things. Do you get along with your siblings? Um, it was a much more holistic picture of how that child is growing yeah. and where they are each year in their growth versus just the 10 minute, like, all right, you're still standing next. You know? <laughs> so different model for sure. That's the thing that I really love about naturopathic medicine is that in general, practitioners will take that extra time but at the end of the day, they can still give a pharmaceutical if it's needed in certain cases. So it's kind of like yeah. the best of both worlds in a lot of senses. So I, I really hope the, the profession keeps, you know, flourishing and uh, gets licensed in more states. Because right now it's only about licensed in half of the states as like oh, a, is it a doctor really? okay. or physician. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, in Oregon here, it's like naturopaths can pretty much do everything. Uh, they just can't do like serious surgery and they can't prescribe like chemotherapies and some intense psychiatric drugs and things like that. But otherwise they can do okay. anything else uh, that a regular doctor would do. Um, so it's good to have that in your tool set, even though that's like not my focus, it's good to have yeah. it as an ability, even though I prefer to use herbs first. Um, Cause I just think they're much more gentle. Um, but yeah, so the, the final aspect of herbs, and this is kind of, I'll just say very generally, because there's not much to be said without getting in extreme depth into a lot of herbs. Uh, yeah. The third uh, part of this tripod, let's call it. So we got the organ system now. We know where the disease is located. And we got the energetics. We know the overall condition. The third thing is the specifics. So the specifics, this term came from the eclectic physicians of the late 1800s and early 1900s. These people were MDs, they were medical doctors, but they were very holistically minded. So they used a lot more herbs, they used minerals, that kind of thing. They're kind of the prototypical uh, naturopathic doctor. They're like earlier, they're an earlier tradition than naturopathy. Uh, so 
we obviously take a lot of influence from them. Uh, but they developed this intense system. And if you ever want to look into it, go on uh, henriettesherbals.com. I don't know if you are familiar with that website. Oh, yeah. You, you are, of with, course. Yeah, so they have their, their Matera Medicas of the Eclectics uh, uh-huh. from like 1898, 1905, whatever, like Felters and other ones. You'll see it on the, the website, uh, Henriette's Herbals, um, or just look up Eclectic. But they have this intense system of, of herbal specifics where, you know, the specifics of herb are what general symptom picture does the herb go along with? What is the general presenting issues that the person will have, which dictates what herb would be good for them? So on those pieces of research, and even in books like this, that you can reference the specifics, it'll say things like blah, 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 um, herb is really good for people who feel like this and their skin looks like this and their heart rate is like this and their pulse is like this and they have this symptom and that symptom and it gives you this whole wide uh, picture of what the herb is good for where going to that point of that you were talking about where the herb is seen almost as like a personality and it like matches with somebody perfectly and that's all the just that's where all the symptom picture things come in above the energetics and the location so uh, I'll give you like an example. So let's say somebody has an issue with their liver and it's a hot issue with their liver. So it's like inflammatory and infectious, but the specifics are they have vomiting and diarrhea and they have yellow skin and maybe they have a rapid heart rate. And then, you know, there's like a specific herb that would work really well for that. Uh, maybe something like burdock root or milk thistle. I don't know the exact specifics for that one, but sure. that's a really good resource to look into to give extreme depth. And I think with those, with those three things, and then maybe you can even throw in like PubMed research to like validate if the herbs are actually what they're used for traditionally. And uh, if they're actually shown to work, Cause there's of course, as with all traditions that are passed down, like there are going to be some things that are true and some that are not. And it's really hard to pin them apart. That's why I think research is still actually useful. Uh, unfortunately, and not to get too far into this, but research in terms of herbs is usually done what I would say in an incorrect way. So it doesn't show the results that it <laughs> needs to uh, because they don't take into account the energetics and the organ system and all, all that. that they yep. take into account, Oh, they have the Western diagnosis of anxiety and we're going to give these supposed anti-anxiety herbs. And it's like, it doesn't work like that. So no wonder the research shows that it doesn't work. Right. Although like, oh, that it doesn't shows work. it works a lot of the time. So <laughs> research is good in like or then they convincing it. proof. Sure. Or then they take it and then try to do what happens with pharmaceuticals, like for turmeric, they'll take it and like, oh, it was the, well, curcumin is the active part of turmeric that helps with the inflammatory response. So therefore we're going to concentrate that. So now you should look for a turmeric supplement that's 95% curcumin. But I feel like that's taking away from the original intelligence of the plant. Like what about the other 95% of the compounds that are in that plant that are working with your body in a way that didn't show up in the experiment. That's, you know, not, not shown. So. Exactly. It's like the same philosophy and methodology that's used for conventional medicine is applied to herbalism. And then it works sometimes and other times it doesn't work at all. um, Which is kind of problematic. Sometimes when I'm choosing an herb, I like to, go through this kind of process. Like first I'll kind of look at the traditional uses or like, I'll have like a general condition, let's say like indigestion or something. And I'll look up what are the traditional herbs that are used for that? Okay. I'll have like a list. Then I'll look up PubMed, like which herbs have actually 
there's studies that people with like indigestion or any kind of gut complaints have actually really helped most of them with. And I'll kind of look at that list and compare it. And then I'll have like a kind of a prototype of some of the herbs that could be helpful. And then you start getting into the, what's the organ system of the person, the specifics and the energetics. And by then you should have like one or two herbs that, that would be good. And I, yeah. I prefer to take the high dose herbalism route, like five, 10 grams of a lot of these herbs. I don't, um, that's just kind of the tradition I, I studied. And I know there's some people like Matthew Wood who use a lot more like drop dosing where yeah, they'll put a like few drops of tincture yeah. in a glass of water. Yeah. They'll be like, Oh, what do you think about that? By the way, say. what's, what's your approach to that? Cause that's like oh, a kind of contentious so topic within herbalism. Oh, it is. I mean, and it's so funny and it's, it's so, I mean, you could go to any of the, you know, um, more well-known herbalists and every single one of them has they have a, a different, different view. Kind of yeah. Matthew Wood's like, Oh, I gave somebody a really high dose of lavender. I used 10 drops, <laughs> you know, and that's like, Whoa. And somebody else is like, what? Four, four dropperfuls at least you got to do that yeah. to, you know? And so I think it, you know, I think it depends. I think sometimes it's also individual. I think it also, it, it deals with people's sensitivities. I think that someone who isn't as sensitive, maybe someone who has been on a lot of pharmaceuticals and is looking for that kind of big response. I think, you know, maybe for them, they might feel like they need the four dropper fulls. Um, I think someone like Matthew Wood is more attuned to the subtle energetics and mm -hmm. how the three drops of lavender is affecting that person mm -hmm. as a whole on and he comes, a spiritual of energetic from level. The homeopathy kind of. Background. Yeah. And I was going to so say that's... all what you were saying about the eclectics is all very similar to homeopathy, like painting that picture. Like there's one red cheek, they're grumpy from two to 4 AM. You know, there's only pain on the right side. I mean, there's, there's kind of all like putting that whole picture together. That's really similar with homeopathy. Um, you know, and then you look at if you're gonna, you know, purchase a tincture, you know, one of the more, the like herb farm or Gaia or something that's one of the more mainstream brands at the store. And it says, you know, 633 milligrams per, you know, per serving or something. And then you're like, well, this one says 800 and this one says 600. So how many, you know, how many dropper fulls do I really need to take to this? I think it, it's, especially with yourself, I think it's really good to play around and experiment yeah. and start with the lower dose and see like, can I take three drops of this? How do I feel? Let me try six drops. Let me try 25. And the same goes if you're working with a client. I mean, you kind of have to, I think you need to just make a decision really and figure out, you know, well, if I want, especially when you're dealing with a, a, a client and you're wanting compliance, you're like, I'm really hoping to get enough burdock, you know, to whatever, just, just to get into their system, effect. especially over this long period of time. So let's go ahead and say one dropper full three times a day. And then even if you're looking at like 50% compliance, like, oh, they always forget to take it to dinner or something. And then at least you, some, some was in there, you know? <laughs> so I think you kind of just have to make a decision on who you're working with or whether you're working with yourself and then go with that. And if it doesn't work, then you take away some or, you know, add more. Mm. Um, in, in whatever, you know, safety degree there is. I, I think of it as a kind of journey. And I think yeah, Chinese medicine sure. herbalism is very inspiring in that sense, because mm -hmm. the typical approach is like, you'll see your herbalist every week over the course of months, right? And every week, depending on, so they'll give you a formula after you 
tell them generally what's going on. Then when you come back the next week, you tell the herbalist like what you noticed, what helped, what didn't, everything that's changed, and they'll alter the formula. And then they'll do the same thing next week and then the next week and then the next week. So it's like a kind of journey of like when you're working with these patterns and energies, there's a lot of like fine tuning that has to happen because there's no like cure for anything within this system. There's like a way of balancing out the energies and that could, you could get it on your first try if you're lucky, or it might be your 10th try, but like it'll happen eventually probably if you stick with it. So it's, it's about the, the journey of it. Uh, But when you bring up with the compliance thing, I think that's super important. If you're an herbalist, like, and the person's coming to see you for the first time, you want them to have a noticeable effect because it's very likely that if, if they don't notice some benefit right away, they're going to just drop it and be like, and lose faith because while the herbalist may know all this generally takes four weeks to work, a person who doesn't see benefit from taking a tincture for a week will be like, it probably just doesn't work. And that's actually a lot of uh, naturopathic doctors. They have this theory where it's kind of interesting. I don't exactly know how I feel about it. I guess I'll see when I'm in practice more, they'll like sometimes just give band-aid pharmaceuticals just to Mm -hmm. like, deal with the symptom immediately. And then when you come back, we'll start dealing with the roots, but like, just to give the faith and the trust of like, I know what I'm doing. I can help you. We can do it this way. This isn't the best way, but it works. And I've actually heard that that's pretty effective that when somebody comes in and they have an annoying symptom and they want to get rid of it, you just kind of almost compromise and say, okay, well, fine. We'll do this for a week. But when you come back, we're going to work on the herbs and diet. And eventually we're going to move this pharmaceutical out. And that tends to work better than being very like, you know, dogmatic, like pharmaceuticals are the devil and like, you can never use them. And, (laughs) you know, like it's just unrealistic because people in the West expect instant results. It's a weird, it's a weird place. Like I said, I don't know how I feel about it. Trained and programmed and brought up that way that, you know, that results should be expected immediately. And if it doesn't work today, then throw it away and get a new one, you know, so throw away your herbalist, get a new one. It did work. But uh, yeah. Um, And that's something, you know, that I always learned in my herb school too, was that you, you know, there may be this whole picture you figured out and you go down this golden thread of some, you know, whatever that root is, but you still want to treat the primary complaint. Like if they have this horrific cough, but even down the road, you trace it to some, you know, whatever happened emotionally, if you're just like, okay, well, I'm going to give you some lemon balm for your emotions, but then this like horrible cough isn't going away, then they're not going to, you know, have that faith and, and confidence that you know what you're doing. So it's best to treat the primary complaint first. And then, you know, and and that kind of brings me back to something you were saying, you know, we were talking about chronic conditions and, you know, that things take a long time that you might be taking a herb for weeks or months is that sometimes as you're unraveling, you're going to kind of um, go back through those things. Like first you, you know, the, the last complaint you had was the rash. So first the rash might disappear, but then the next thing is going to come up, which was the thing that appeared before the rash. And then that's going to go. And then it's going to be the thing that appeared before that. So you're kind of going in that like Matryoshka doll reverse order mm-hmm. As you, you know, heal from the root, you've got to go backwards to the source mm-hmm. as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah. That's a, it's um, a, it's a key point. It's part of the reason why I, I like to use higher dose herbs, just because mm-hmm. for people who are not familiar with how herbs work, it gives them the immediate benefit so that they generate a little bit of faith. And then we can work on the deeper, more subtle aspects. Uh, for example, yeah. something like ginger, if somebody has nausea, 
and you give them like a good dose of ginger, like it's almost guaranteed that it'll help. But if you give too low a dose, maybe it won't, maybe it'll work if you give it for a week on a lower dose. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot, it's an art, really. It's an art. There's no like right answer. The only right answer is what works and what works is hard to pin down because of how individual everyone is and how different approaches are and the quality of the herbs, the concentration of the compounds, uh, what else is going on in their life. They're taking pharmaceuticals. There's just so many factors that it's really impossible to get it right uh, on the first time, every time. Yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, that's something you can do in your questioning of someone is just talking about their sensitivity, like Mm. how, you know, just kind of finding out in general, how sensitive someone is, you know, like I feel personally, like I've, I feel like I take higher doses myself, but my partner, he's so sensitive. It'll be like, Whoa, man, I took a vitamin C. Holy cow. Like I could clean the whole house. like, that so energized me. And I'm like, what? You know, so, or like, oh, I had this little bit of chamomile tea. Like I'm sacked out on the couch in five minutes. And for me, I'm like, wait, how did that work for you? You know, so it just also depends on that individual sensitivity. If you're super sensitive to things, then you don't need the higher dose. And if you're someone that's like, even if you, if, if it's someone who typically does take, you know, they're like, I take Advil every single day for my arthritic knee. And maybe they've requested, you know, I'd really like to get off the Advil. It's hurting my stomach. I want to do, you know, or ibuprofen. I'll say I won't use a brand name. But, uh, uh, you know, then you got to be like, well, how many do you take a day? Oh, I need six in order to feel anything. Then you're thinking like, okay, we're going to work with some higher dose herbs. Mm-hmm. If you're taking six ibuprofen a day, you're not maybe going to feel four drops of whatever, you know, I mean, maybe Mm -hmm. they are though. I don't know. That's the other thing is it could be totally contradictory to what you think it is. So I think it's, (laughs) it's different, uh, different theories that kind of overlap because when you're using low dose herbs, you're kind of, you're functioning, I think more of the homeopathic area of healing where it's like, you're not trying to create necessarily a physiological response with the herb, but you're trying to have the body counterbalance it. So that's where the idea of uh, the law of similars as opposed to the law of contraries, the law of similars is you treat like with like, that's the fundamental tenet of homeopathy. And it works Mm -hmm. also with herbs. Like I'll give you an example of this. It's, you know, using somebody has like a fever, but they're, they're having a hard time breaking the fever. So you actually give them like ginger because ginger is really heating. Fever is really hot you're actually trying to increase the fever. You're trying to make it more effective. And then that makes the fever break and it makes the person get better because you're kind of helping along their system. So instead right. of giving a cold herb for that condition uh, to reduce the fever, you might give a, a warmer or hot herb to stimulate the fever more. Um, right. So more that's effective. like a completely yeah. fundamentally different approach. And if you're, if you're doing different doses of herbs. I think that's where that comes in, where you might not want to give yeah. a lot of ginger just because you don't want to really heat them up so much because they're already in a really hot state, but you might want to just give them a little bit so that when it affects their body, their body will have a counter response. Like their body will overall have a cooling response to what you gave them. And then that'll help them with their fever naturally. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think it's just as important to learn the law of similars as, you know, the law of opposite. Well, they both, they both act like herbs, herbs (laughs) don't care what box we put them in. Like they just do what they do. They just do what they do. Like we put boxes on them, but those boxes are just theoretical. 
Well, they are, and they're very movable. And that's like in Ayurveda, that term prabhava, about the, you know, that special potency of that herb that doesn't fit in any of the boxes. It's mm. like skullcap is skullcap because it is, because it does what skullcap does best. And it may be a certain constituent, a certain function. It may be, you know, whatever, but it's... Um, that's like the specifics of that tripod. And sometimes it's, it's, sometimes it's a specific that doesn't fit in any of the boxes. It's just, it's kind of stands alone on its own. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, like going back to ginger, that's a perfect example of yeah. one of the specifics of it. Although that's it is true. like generally supportive to the digestive system, it's unique because it specifically really helps for nausea. Like it really helps for mm-hmm. nausea. Uh, whereas other digestive herbs like chamomile, fennel, gentian, they may or not help with nausea. It depends on what the cause of it is. But ginger just, that's just right. what ginger does. And there, that's like the, the element of knowing what the specifics of the herbs are. And if uh, that's a really worthy place to study deeply because the specifics are kind of like just what works and like not caring about the mechanisms or the whys. Of course, you can never get as deep as is possible without knowing the energetics and the locations and physiology and the underlying causes. But if you're just looking for like something to just work, the specifics are are the quickest right. way to that. That's just how it sometimes is. Sometimes that's enough. I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you're not a professional herbalist, maybe you just, you know, you have some issue and you want to work with it. Just look up the eclectic book or like a book like this and just find the herb that works and that's it. You don't have to, you don't have to be a, like a professional to use herbs. I mean, animals use herbs in nature to heal themselves all the time and they do it instinctually. So that's a whole nother aspect of herbalism is the intuitive instinctual aspect of it, which definitely still exists yeah. within us. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, you ask the question, like, how did people figure out what herbs, like, where did that all come from? That's a whole other episode on its own. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There is that intuitive um, where we had to, you know, figure that out with the plants themselves. Yeah. Which is uh, super important. I think we still, we still have that, uh, especially oh, when we sure. use herbs like week- frequently and develop a relationship mm-hmm. with them. Like, let's say you drink chamomile tea pretty often. You kind of have a general sense for what chamomile does. And when you're feeling a certain type of way, you might like actually crave it. You might be like, oh, chamomile would be perfect right now. And that's like the instinctual, the more experience you have personally with using the herbs, the more you actually truly understand their energetics and how they work and the better you can apply them to other people. Because if you know generally what, how it works, then you'll notice those same symptoms in someone else. And you'll be like, oh, this is the perfect herb for them. I just know because I used it and it worked perfectly for this. Right. Yep. I think uh, that is very true. All right. So to, uh, to end off, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, our sponsor, which is actually my company <laughs> and some of our new products. So we were talking a little bit about detox. This is Dionysian detox. Okay. And this All one's right. got milk thistle, dandelion root, artichoke, and burdock root. It's flavored with ginger, orange peel, and uh, raw honey. This is an alcohol extract. Um, me and uh, Bryn both make uh, alcohol tinctures. And obviously the reason that we use alcohol is because it's very good at pulling out the essential oils, the fat soluble things and the water soluble things, like things like polysaccharides and mushrooms, for example. So it pulls out the most of these elements. Really like this blend for just general detoxing as I was talking about uh, the liver being uh, a main force of detoxification. That blend is really good for uh, supporting the liver generally. So that's one of the new blends that came out 
Then this one's uh, Apollo's light. I don't know if you can see it. You have to get a little, there you go. Now I can see it, cognitive support. Yeah, so this one is kind of the, the nootropic blends that mm-hmm. I formulated. So you might notice some of the herbs in it, uh, ginkgo, go-to-cola, green tea, rosemary. So ginkgo, obviously, uh, there's some research that it improves uh, blood flow to the brain and helps with memory through that mechanism. Green tea, of course, everyone knows green tea helps with the, the mind and focus. Go-to-cola is a classic in Ayurveda for supporting the minds. And then we got rosemary, which is a specific for memory. And right. there's something that Shakespeare says where it's like rosemary is the herb of remembrance or something like that. Rosemary so there's an old tradition yeah. of mm-hmm. rosemary being yeah. really good for that. Then we got yeah. this one, which is, uh, I don't know if you can see it. It's called Demeter's bitters. And then this one is a bitters formula. So I don't know if you have a bitters formula for, for your company, but let's, uh, let's see how ours compare if you do. So this one is, I have a digestive that's yeah. So this one, the fundamental uh, ingredient in it is really gentian root, which Uh is a, a digestive, digestive bitter. So what those do is they stimulate kind of gastric secretions. They move the digestive system and that bitter flavor stimulates uh, the gut through the vagus nerve. So it's, it's anything with like a bitter taste usually stimulates digestive uh, function, like bitter leaf, leafy greens, those kind of things are really yeah, good. Yeah, right too. from when you taste it. And then this blend is uh, actually hybrid extracts. So I don't know if you make any of these. Uh, this is, so I use part uh, organic vegetable glycerin and part alcohol for it. Uh, okay. Because obviously gentian is so bitter that it's like, it's like that so kind bitter. of bitter that goes on the back of your tongue and makes you just like for 30 minutes, but because yeah, I it makes you it like in, shiver. Yeah. It's so bitter. <laughs> it's like, it's like that, <laughs> you ever like uh, take like a pill or like a pharmaceutical and it like slid on your uh, tongue on the way back. And then it's like that bitter on the back. That's kind of oh, what gentian yeah. is like, which is, that's why it's so effective. Um, but I think I did a pretty good job of disguising the flavor of it because I added peppermint, orange peel, ginger, fennel, and cloves, which are other nice. warming digestive stimulants. And altogether, uh-huh. it's just a little bit bitter, but then it's kind of sweet and yummy afterwards. So I kind of, it's like a Trojan horse formula. It's like a way sure. to get the digestive bitter into you without like uh-huh. being so disgusting because I was experimenting around <laughs> with different formulations of this. And I, I like even chewed a little piece of gentian root and oh my God, like a little section of it was just like- wow. That was, was brave. Like, yeah, it was rough. It was rough. I, I tasted yeah. the deep bitter it's in the back of my tongue though, right? for like 30 it's minutes. important to definitely, know that. Definitely. Yeah. I noticed my stomach yeah. kind of like gurgling and burping and all those signs that, you know, the digestion Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, yeah to so. take it back to the beginning, we were talking about that's super important to like know what that's like. How does that make your body feel? Like if you take a taste of gentian root, you know, yeah. that you, there you, you just read all the books right there. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, hope, I hope people were making you. digestive bitters, like for other companies, they actually taste it before they give it to people. Cause God damn, if I only put the gentian root and didn't disguise it, it would have been just like, it would have been, it would have yeah. taken a real like hardcore herbalist to deal with it. It would be really effective, Yeah, but like, it would be uh-huh. something that most people would not be able to handle, especially people who yeah. taste the odd herb and they're like, uh, like this tastes weird or kids. Oh my God. Yeah. There's no way that they mine is, uh, mine is a uh, Genevieve's gentle belly. And it is it definitely a more mild formula. It doesn't have gentian in it and it's uh, fennel and cat mint and chamomile nice. um, based and with a few other things in there. So, yeah. Um, I like it. I like it. What's the catnip yeah. in there for? 
Catnip is actually a traditional digestive. Really? And then also that. just, yeah. And also helps with that kind of nervous stomach. Yeah, that's what it so sounds like. So it can be like. really, really calming for someone who has indigestion mm. or something because they're, you know, feeling antsy or nervous. It can really bring that that down cool. and then allow the other herbs to kind of work on the, you know, the actual. Yeah, you know, yeah. Stimulating and, and the juices and all those things. And this formula, Demeter's Bitters, it really works in a kind of different way. It doesn't work on as much of that kind of like nervous system stomach. It works uh-huh. more on just like, stimulating digestion, getting the juices flowing, getting everything moving. So actually those two formulas would go well complementary together, I think. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, and I kind of do that. You know, I have two different uh, sleep tinctures. One of them is, is uh, more for just like a super restful sleep. And my other one is a dream formula, mm. but I actually, I was taking them separately and then I decided to start taking them together. And I actually really love taking them together because I feel like I get active dreaming, but I also feel, yeah, but I also feel super rested. And so, um, like, well, I could combine those into one, but then I feel like that kind of muddies it when you end up having too many herbs in one formula. So yeah, yeah. I don't know. And then you can, if you're like, no, actually I just want to sleep tonight. I'm not really interested in remembering my dreams or whatever. I'm just going to go with this one. So yeah, I think it's kind of fun to have multiple formulas for, for various areas. And it shows the kind of principles of uh, herbalism that we were talking about where there's a lot of different kinds of digestive support formulas that you could have, and they're based on different causes. So like this one would be, this one's particularly really good for um, people that have a lot of bloating, cramps, any kind of like sluggish digestion. They feel like indigestion. Uh, they just need everything to move. They feel like it's overall sluggish. Whereas the kind of formula that uh, you made is more for somebody who has like a nervous stomach or they have their anxiety has a large part in their digestion. Things like chamomile, lemon balm are really good for that specific one. So it's like a different cause of indigestion. Different layers. Yeah. Different kinds of digestion, different kinds of sleep, different kinds of headaches. I mean, yeah, there's, that's the thing is, yeah. Yeah. And the the cool thing about (laughs) these, uh, these three formulas that I uh, just talked about and made, they're not as much for kind of specific issues. Like I, Uh, made before, meaning that they're kind of just supportive in general, because the idea of using digestive bitters before you eat just stimulates anyone's digestion. You don't necessarily have to have issues with digestion. It just helps you get more nutrition, helps it function better, helps everything just move more smoothly. Then everyone can use more memory. And then the detox, I mean, who who couldn't use detox right now with how many chemicals and stuff we have? And so these are just like general supportive formulas, even for people without necessarily conditions. Um, so you guys can check them out at ktherbs.com and use the code family for 25% off. Uh, those are the three new formulas and where can, uh, where can people check out your products? Uh, I am at, uh, vitalforceherbs.com. So I have all my formulas, uh, on there. There's, it's, uh, page two of my website is the list and I have, uh, tinctures and salves and, um, some elixirs and other fun things on there. Some random things like sunscreen and enough and stuff like that. So I have a couple little, I don't have any tinctures with me. I have a little, uh, a little, these are the tiniest. These are like my little things that are in my purse. So there be, I don't even know if you'll be able to see them, but basically my label's black and gold. So there's little vital force herbs. This is currently called Rhea's Rash and Deep Skin Care, but I'm actually working on kind of switching up the formula and the name a little bit. Um, it is a cottonwood bud based formula, which I felt was really helpful for some of those deeper, like, you know, weepy eczema and things. Um, but, uh, 
I think it's also more, I, I can show you, actually, I don't know if you'll be able to see with your camera, but I was telling you a few weeks ago, I got bashed by a, a oh, cedar yeah. brand. Mm -hmm. And I had uh, five stitches right here and I've been putting this cottonwood bud salve on and just like within five days of getting my stitches out, it's almost completely healed. So I'm feeling pretty stoked on this blend right now. That's awesome. <laughs> so, and yeah, and then I have a uh, Minerva's Muscle Meltdown, which is my pain salve, which is kind of like an uh, an herbal take on icy hot. You know, like if you mm -hmm. think of the I don't know. My grandma always had this huge tub of icy hot. I was like, mm -hmm. what is that stuff? I don't know. <laughs> but it's a uh, it's an arnica base, but then also has um, ginger and spearmint for kind of that heating and cooling elements. Nice. And uh, yeah, calendula and devil's club, which I made, I put devil's club in this small batch, but um, I'm moving away from that because it's such a specific remedy and only found in these Northwest forests. And so I wasn't feeling like I wanted to use it in a product that I was going to be making in a, a mass quantity. So mm -hmm. I'm taking that out of the formula. I have a few left of the special devil's club edition. Um, and then let's see, I have a little uh, lip balm. This is Lakshmi's lip balm, um, which is just you know, pretty fun, basic calendula comfrey, self-heal and lemon balm and awesome. chamomile blend. Yeah. Um, I'm really getting into self-heal. It's something that uh, popped up in my, my yard. It pops up in everybody's yards. It's got the little, it's a, a non-volatile oil mint family. Mm. Um, it grows just right above the grass level with little purple flowers. Um, it doesn't have a scent, but uh, really amazing uh, skin herbs. So. Yeah, there, there's awesome. some, of, some of those. And uh, that, that's yeah. a perfect place to insert the announcement. So uh, <laughs> me and Bryn uh, were doing a kind of partnership where she's going to be making some uh, skin products, salves, that kind of thing for uh, Kintaris Therapeutics. So stay tuned at ktherbs.com to see that and also on her website, uh, Vital Force Herbs. So yeah. we'll, we'll be unleashing that. that within the next few months. Um, she's quite adept at making creams and salves. So that's kind of the reasoning I'm, I'm more of the kind of formulation tinctures guys so. the formulas yeah as I was telling you salves were like the very first thing I ever learned how to make and just having my whole house fill up with the smell of like the simmering herbs and the oil mm. and then the beeswax is just like that's pretty much like the most heavenly smell to me so I could do that all day every day for sure <laughs> yeah and it's good too because a lot of these skincare products, they, frankly, they suck, right? They have a lot of chemicals in them. Like, why are you putting chemicals, in chemicals. and going in your body? And it's, it's like that same. And your liver has to deal with. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, it'll make the blemish go away, but you're putting poison on you. Like. Yeah. So. Yeah. And that's oh. really underregulated. Like we have ingredients on our food and you can there generally, you know, kind of, I mean, the ingredients are on your shampoo bottle or your cream bottle, but it's still, it's, I feel like it's a little bit harder to find out about or to know you're like there is oh, different that regulations the there's more yeah. stringent regulations on things that people ingest versus what they put on their skin like For the sure. things you can put on your skin uh, that are legally allowed to be put in products are just crazy the things that you ingest they have to go through much more stringent manufacturing processes so if you're gonna use skincare products definitely use all the kind of more natural stuff i mean it just it makes so much more sense it does. And even, you know, with marketing, they can kind of attach on to like, oh, there was bad press about, uh, say, parabens. And all the natural people are you know, putting paraben free. So then, you know, a company that has a bunch of chemicals might still say yeah. paraben free. 
But then you turn around and it's like, oh, but there's 85 other chemicals in there. So it's just right. good. You know, a good, re a really good resource for that is the um, EWG. It's the Environmental Working Group and it's mm. called Skin Deep. And they have a database of every single cosmetic compound that, I mean, pretty much that there is as far as I know. And you can just type that in um, and it'll tell you where it comes from, you know, what it's made from. And then kind of, they give like a grading system. I think it's like one through five, one being like either no harm or there's, they haven't found any evidence. And then all the way up to five, like, you know, causes cancer tomorrow. So anyway, that's a, that's a cool resource. Um, if you want to look at skincare things to just kind of see like what's actually, you know, in your lotion or whatever you're using. Yeah. There's, there's a certain brand, which I won't mention, but it sounds a lot like Avena because Avena sativa, uh -huh. so milky oats. Um, oh, sure. Yeah. Uh -huh. And of course, uh, milky oats is really good for the skin, like doing like oat, oh, oat baths okay. and it's very like moisturizing. It's uh, really kind of mm -hmm. uh, damp in the sense that it builds up the body. Um, but yeah, this, this brand, like it just has that in it, but it has a lot of other chemicals in it. So there's a lot of like fad type of things where they'll just say like, oh, has rosemary. And it's like, but the rest of the right. things are like sodium laurel glyphosate, like oh, these crazy <laughs> chemicals, but oh, You're but like, it has rosemary, but it has rosemary. It must be good. Yeah. So if you're going to go the natural go go full natural. Don't, don't go in between. Um, and check out Brin's products, which will yeah. <laughs> be sold on Kintaro. So right on. Any uh, cool. any final things of guidance that you would give to people um, who are seeking to become better herbalists or use herbs better? Any general tips? Uh, yeah, I guess I I think probably the most important thing that I learned from my schooling and fellow herbalists and from you know, the forest and the plants themselves is that an herbalist is always a student of nature. Mm. And that's something that you always, beyond your books, beyond your studies, beyond all those things is to keep that direct connection, to get out, um, out of the city, into the, you know, into the woods, even if it's, even if you can't get out of the city, go sit next to your favorite tree at the park and just remember that you're part of the same, the same thing outside of this, you know, this thing we call the human world and all of our constructs that mm. we put on it. And I think that that is where we find true healing. And that's where we, um, you know, we become instruments of medicine when we're able to really connect with that source, mm. which all, I mean, even all pharmaceuticals, we could talk about that. They all come, they all came from plants originally. Um, and so just really connecting with that source, I think helps you become a better herbalist because it, it, you know, it just, it connects you in a way that nothing else can. And then you can mm. also back it up. You know, you can take your, your intuition and what you, you know, found sitting under that tree. And then if you're not sure, then you can go back it up with your book reading. And I mean, I, th I just think it's important to have all facets, facets of that and uh, mm. to just always be a student. And that's the other thing is to be, to be humble. And to know that, you know, as much as you can learn, you can always learn more. And mm -hmm. uh, I know that, um, you know, it was said to me, and I just always remember this, um, so I'm, I'm just repeating it, but uh, um, the herbalist Paul Bergner, I'm sure you're familiar with him. He had a, a little course, I think it was, I think it was at one of the, uh, um, one of those, the herb conferences, um, the one that used to happen in the fall that was on the NUNM campus. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. 
and I, and, and anyways, it was like a workshop and it said like, how to become a, perf- uh, how to become a master herbalist in 30 years or more. And, <laughs> and that, that, like, that's always just so stuck with me is that that's so true. Like you can call yourself a master or whatever you can, you know, have five doctor degrees, you can read a thousand books, but you're always still a student and you can always mm. be learning and there's always something new. Um, and you know, the plants are your greatest teachers. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's beautiful. And I would definitely re reiterate what you said about to, to be an herbalist in the fullest sense is a kind of way of life. And it's a way of life along with nature. Cause that's, these are the forces that herbalists are are working with. So if you could have a chance to, you know, go around your local neighborhood and uh, identify plants and harvest plants for yourself and make things from them, there's a much deeper connection and it's much more powerful medicine. I think when you work with herbs directly, uh, because you can only learn so much from a book, like you really, to, to know more, you really got to get out there and get your hands kind of literally dirty with the, yeah, sure. with the herbal or even world. Taste that gentian root, you know, exactly. You gotta, <laughs> gotta take one for the team. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on today. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a pleasure. I hope this was uh, hope this was useful. The episode was really uh, an attempt to kind of transmit some good information for people who want to be uh, herbalist or learn more. So I hope it was helpful for you guys. Uh, if you like this podcast, please, uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, subscribe. And uh, if you're listening on iTunes, I know we have a very big uh, iTunes base. Uh, Give us an honest review. I'm not going to ask you to give a five-star review, but it would be nice. Um, Give an honest review. Maybe a comment. Uh, It helps a lot with the algorithm so that more people can hear this stuff. It's very hard for kind of startup podcasts to get any kinds of listeners just because there's literally a million podcasts. So if you like this one, you want to see more and uh, please, uh, you know, support by commenting, liking, subscribing. Uh, And we're going to be doing a lot of upgrades coming in the future in terms of video and mics to be, you know, right now kind of homemade, but that is only for now. So stick around (laughs) and uh, a ton of episodes uh, in the past, probably weeks before this are are some of the best ones we've had. So definitely check them out. We're on YouTube, Spotify, uh, Apple podcasts, also known as iTunes, uh, Stitcher, you name it. We're, we're on there. So all the all right. platforms thank cool. you we had uh Thanks. bryn anderson she is the best and she's an herbalist as am i so right <laughs> i'll leave you with that <laughs> take care